So I asked JR if he'd pray for us, and then he's going to dive into the message. So thanks. Give it up for JR real quick. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we are um, we're humbled that you would uh, allow us just to be here in your presence, that you would uh, see us as your children and would love us. Uh, Father, we are thankful for being able to, to know one of your children, to know the life that Nita uh, lives, and, and to know that the, 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 the pointing, the finger pointing of where her strength comes from is always back to you. Father, may, may we have that strength uh, as well. So, Father, we thank you for, uh, uh, for, for bringing um, e easement of pain and, and, and bringing rest and uh, bringing a time of, of, uh, of, of, of just being able to not be uh, under the rigors of, of cancer and of surgeries and of chemo. And Father, we know you didn't make us, our bodies, to be able to handle that. And so, Father, we pray for Butch. We pray for uh, when, his, when, his, uh, uh, when his back is weary right now, that you would, you would reach down and pick him up, that you would uh, hold him in your hands like we know you are now, and to be able to strengthen him. And uh, we're thankful to be able to, to, to continue to give that message uh, of, of life-giving, of a Savior that loves us and wants to give us uh, a life uh, that, uh, that need a new to anyone else that have ears that could hear. So guide us today, Father. Let what comes out of my mouth not be my words, but be yours and exactly what we need to hear uh, in order to continue to move forward as your followers of Jesus. And we ask that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so... As we kind of get into the week before Easter, I, I, I'm always intrigued by this story that leads up to, to Easter. Whenever you, um, uh, whenever you get a chance to, to read in Scripture, if, you've, if you haven't read them before, this, this process or this, this timeline of, of Jesus' last week, um, it, it starts in your, in your Bible, something like Matthew 21, 22, somewhere around in there, but same thing in Luke. And it'll, it'll start with the, this uh, idea of triumphant entry. Uh, sometimes you, in your Bibles you have, the, you have the, uh, the headings that say what is coming up, uh, the triumphant entry, the, you know, Peter denies Jesus and things like that. And, and that's, this, that's this week we're kind of in right now, starting this week before Easter, uh, it's oftentimes referred to as like a preparation week, um, a, a, a holy week, a, a, week of, a week of walking the last steps of Jesus' life and, and getting to watch that. And I don't know, as a kid, I always looked. And when I would read that scripture, you, you, you read a part about where you know, you know, Jesus walks or Jesus rides into town on a, on a donkey. Like that always fascinated me. Like what? What in the world? Why in the world would, would our Savior come and get on the back of an of a obstinate, ornery uh, animal that even when you, you know, whack them over the head with a two-by-four, they're not going to move? And, and this, is how, this is how Jesus rides into, rides into town. This is how Jesus starts his, starts his week. Um, preacher gave me this joke, so I want to preface that before we get into that because... <laughs> past few times they have fallen flat but um, I've always wondered what kind of car if Jesus would have rode in to town what kind of car he would have driven and I'm you know thinking about Corvette oh yeah something like that Ferrari Lamborghini maybe Jesus was a truck guy I kind of hope he was that would be nice 
But I've determined that he probably, if he was going to ride into town or drive into town in a car, he'd ride into town, he'd drive into town on a, in a Chrysler. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you do it. I don't, I don't know how you do it. I don't, I don't know how you get off stage uh, after that. <laughs> Preacher gave me that one. He said, if you've got to preach, this is, you know, obligated to do that. <laughs> but here's what I want to do. I want to spend some time looking at, looking at this week and, and, and focusing specifically on Jesus and what takes place. You would think that if, since Jesus knew that this was the last week of his life, then that means every action he would take and every word that came out of his mouth had to be, had to be the most important and the most urgent message he would have given to anyone that would listen, right? You know, when we look at Matthew 28 when Jesus uh, is actually resurrected and he walks around the earth. We see the, the, in the heading of your scripture in the bottom of Matthew 20, it's called the Great Commission. And then he tells everyone to go into, into all the world and baptizing um, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey. Those are those were relatively his last words before ascending into heaven. You would think that that's a very important message. Well, the same thing's true when it comes to this week. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew what Good Friday was about before Good Friday happened. He knew what Easter morning was about before Easter morning was going to happen. So what does that mean for us? As we walk into this week preparing ourselves for the sadness and the sorrow of what Friday should bring, and the joy and the refreshment and the excitement of what Sunday would bring. What does that mean for us? What do we do as a follower of Jesus? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 21 with me real quick. And I'm going to start with that, start with that triumphant entrance story. To start with when Jesus rode into town. If you've got your Bibles, and we'll have it on the screen if you don't. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11 sounds like this. It says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to a town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. And he, he says, and he says go, into the, go into the village over there. And he said, As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with, with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. Which, by the way, that, that doesn't get you out of trouble when you take some candy that you're not supposed to be taking. I've learned that the hard way, by the way. The Lord needs it, Mom. No. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God. God in the highest. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now when, you, when, you, when we read this and you look at the scripture and what they're saying, 
I don't know about you, but there's several, several emotions that come up. When I'm reading this passage of Scripture, there's, there's several things that, that, can, that can come up inside of us and come up inside of me of these emotions of what is about to take place. There, there, there's, there's, there's anger at how Jesus was treated this week. When we look at this week that he is, is about to endure, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. Why would they ever whip and beat my Lord? Uh, you know, confusion as to why all this was needed to happen. Couldn't have Jesus snapped his fingers and got this done? Wasn't he God in the flesh? Wasn't he 100% God? Why did this even happen? Confused. And then there's even empathy that because some of us know how Jesus would have felt because of a similar past trauma of being betrayed and forgotten, left out, beaten. When we look at this passage and look at this week that's coming up, a lot of these emotions come up. Why did it have to happen this way? Why did they do that? How come we couldn't have been this way? And what happens is we, we tend to look and blame humanity. We, we, we blame an individual. We, we blame, blame humanity as, as, as uh, the individuals that are carrying out the issue. Well, they did this. They're at fault. They need to be punished. We tend to blame those who would act in an evil way, right? We tend to look at the person and, and blame them as it's their fault. They did this, right? We do it all the time. Cross the aisle. The blues do this. The reds do that. We can't even talk together. Come to church, we have church wars. Can't even talk together. Because they did this, or he did that, or she did that. When in reality, they are perfect. When in reality, that individual is, is beautiful. Because it's the forces of evil working through humanity is the problem. The forces of evil working through God's children is the issue. God's children in and of itself were good. When, when he made Adam and Eve in Genesis, he called them good. He's proud of his kids. He loves his kids. And we as parents do the same thing. Proud of my kids. Love my kids. But I don't like what you just did there. Right? I mean, there's, there's, there's times when, as a parent, um, you have to look and go, yeah, he's my kid too. I've done it. I know, boy, I know my parents have done that to me. Man, they're like, yeah, that's my kid. Oh, my goodness. You know, I was, I'm, the kid that was, I'm the kid that was in the principal's office in elementary school every other day. I was the big and loud kid, man. I mean, what, I'm a softie. I'm a teddy bear. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot in here that's, that's mean or uh, you know, rough at all. It just the beard just kind of scares everybody away. You know, it's just the way it is. Then I'm principal's office every other day. I finally got to the point where the principal's like, "Look, Jr., I don't have time for you. <laughs> Can you just please go to the gray lady's room the next time you get, you get kicked out of class?" Sure, Ted, not a problem. We were on first name basis, by the way. <laughs> Still remember that. Still remember his name. We'll go to the gray lady's room, and finally, when the you know, gray lady, the nurse, and she wasn't there, I'd go to the janitor to help him. 
the way it was. So when we look at our kids, sometimes we're like, man, that's my boy. And then sometimes it's like, oh, that's my boy. Same, same place here. God, our Father, has created his children, and he, he loved them because he made them, and they were good. Very good, in fact, was the words that he used. He made everything else. It was good. It was good. It was good. And he made Adam, and he's like, that's very good. And he's like, not to toot my own horn, but that's pretty good. But yet, when we see someone act in an evil way, they are evil. They are the problem. We'll see what the problem is. You married a goober. See what the problem is, you, you, whatever, whatever. We link it to the individual. Well, they aren't the problem. The problem is the evil actions that come out of that individual, right? See, I, I, I started, I, I, I subscribe to the mentality of I'm not able to complain about something unless I'm willing to be a part of the solution. And so last, last football season, middle school football season, my son's playing football and... Um, I found myself complaining quite a bit. I, I'll be honest. I just, oh, why won't he do this? And why do they do that? And that's stupid. And, blah, blah, blah. and I went, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If, if, if you're going to have the audacity to say that you would do it better, then big boy show it. That's, that's really what I believe. I, if if, if I, I, I choose not, I resolve not to complain about something unless I'm willing to be a part of the of the problem, which, by the way, if you see things around here that you think uh, could be improved, love to talk to you about how you're going to start and volunteer to do that. Um, that's how that works, by the way. I can say that. I'm not on staff here, uh, so, but I will help you find your way into serving uh, on that. Maybe it's because I've been told that uh, when, at times when my heart has been wrong. So when I'm, I've decide, I decided that I, I'm, I'm halfway through last season, I'm going to try to help out the best I can. And so I started jumping in. I started helping out to the point where... Um, You've been to youth football games. You've been to uh, places where your kids have played sports. So there's usually a separation of parents and then coaches, right? Parents and the team is out here. There's usually a line where you can't cross and ropes and things like that until one day um, I kind of find myself on the sidelines of the football game coaching with them. And I looked down and went, I'm not supposed to be here. Okay, maybe I'll be a coach next year. So I signed up to be a coach. So I'm coaching my son's middle school football team this year as an assistant coach. Thank goodness there's somebody else that wanted the head spot. Because I decided I can't complain about it unless I'm willing to be a part of the solution. And here's what I found out. If I'm teaching these young men, these, these 11, 12, 13-year-old young men, I've got the linemen because I'm a big boy and I know how to do that when football at least. If I'm teaching them how to get into a stance, I have to teach them in such a way that they hear me of saying how you are getting into the stance <clears throat> is the problem. You are not the problem. Because I can't tell you how many times in my experience with youth, that's what my degree is in, that's what I've spent time doing for years, is teaching youth. I can't tell you how many times a kid will walk away thinking that they're the problem. And you're done. So when I'm coaching these boys, I have to be extremely clear to show them that the action you are taking is the problem that we need to fix. So you are not the problem. 
See, humanity in and of itself is good. It is not evil. The actions taken by humanity, and humanity being the collection of humans, are evil. Because see, there's, there's, there's one thing that I believe we absolutely gloss over when it comes to Jesus' life. There's one thing that we ultimately just completely didn't even see it and at some point in time have an aha moment when we actually get to that. And this week, this, this, this week of, of, of Jesus' life, is, it puts that on full display because the one thing we skip when we read Scripture is that Jesus was a human. And I know some of you are like, well, yeah, we know that, preacher. Hang on. Hang with me. Jesus was a human. Jesus was alive. He, he had skin, just like you and I do. And we gloss over it, we skip it, and we don't even recognize the, the magnitude of what we're missing when it comes to Easter. So my hope and my goal is that this would prepare you to see this week differently. So when you walk in these doors next Sunday, that you hear a different message about Jesus than you've ever heard. That you hear a different message about death, burial, and resurrection than you've ever heard. Because you've connected with the humanity of Jesus. See, we read in Scripture that Jesus was, Jesus was born a baby. He was born a child. Jesus was this eight-pound, seven-ounce little baby Jesus that was crying because the microwave wouldn't warm his bottle up fast enough. That's, that's the Jesus of, of our Scripture. Now, I know some of you... See, this is where I, I tend to lose some of you. Some of you hear this as taking away the magnitude of Jesus' divinity, and it, and it isn't. Some of you look and say, how dare you <clears throat> equate something so common as flesh to my Savior? Hang, hang with me. If you're one of those, and you're kind of taking notes as where I'm wrong or where you're offended, just, just hang on. Been there with you. Been there. Hang on. Jesus grew up just like you and I would. Jesus would, would grow in skill and knowledge. We read in Luke 2, and uh, chapter 2, and that, that, that he grew in skill, he grew in knowledge, he grew in wisdom. He grew up a carpenter's son, so at some point in time, he had to learn to use a saw and a hammer. He had to learn to figure out how to measure. He, he would learn the skills of, of the family. Jesus went through the same things that... We did. If you have kids, you understand that puberty is a big deal. You know that Jesus had to go through puberty? Think about it. The way, the things that you experience as intrinsic to being a human being that everybody else experiences, the same thing that Scripture said Jesus experienced. You got to learn how to write. He had to learn how, what to do around horses, what not to do around horses. He, he had to learn something about a boat. But he grew in knowledge, he grew in skill, he grew in the same things as we did. He experienced emotions and the limitations of the human body. When he ran, he became winded. 
It, 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 it said in Scripture, it said in um, that Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus fasted for 40 days. And after that, it, it said that he was weary. He was hungry. We see parts in Scripture where he asked someone for a drink from the well because he was thirsty. That isn't taking away his divinity by no means. But what it is is showing the humanity of what he decided to take on. Being fully 100% God and 100% man. He was able to make those work, work. The only thing that it says in scripture that he didn't do was give in to temptation and sin. It's Hebrews 4, I think. It says that, 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 that Jesus was tempted with everything that a normal person would be tempted with. The only thing that separates him from us is that he didn't give in. He, he, he didn't sin. But he was a human. He had flesh. He had, he had bones. He hurt. By the time he was 30, we all know this, by the time you're 30, when you're in high school, when you're in middle school, you can jump off the top bunk. Maybe you hurt your leg. By the time you're in 30, you sleep wrong, you wake up, your back's hurting. That's Jesus. That's, that's Jesus. And, and I want to focus on what happened this week. We see in, later on in Matthew, you know, we, we just read the triumphant entry, and later on in Matthew, you, you read where, where Jesus sits and has the, the Last Supper, where he's, where he's betrayed and Let's think about, think, think about it from a human perspective. You're sitting at a meal knowing the person that is going to betray you is here. Not a city away, not in some distant land, but right next to you. And you choose to let it happen. Imagine the emotions that he's going through, being, being fully human sadness of being given up by a brother of actually thinking I thought we were friends you've been there you've been betrayed by a friend and you have to look and go I thought we were friends but even worse family members later on Jesus predicts Peter's denial you know what was going through Jesus's mind right then with the feelings of abandonment the feelings of being lonely maybe this is speculation the feeling of, I just, did I not say the right things to him to help strengthen his faith? Could he have thought that? Could he have felt that? Praying in, praying in Gethsemane, we see that Jesus was crushed with grief. If you got your Bibles, look, turn over to Luke 22. I want to read that real quick. I want to look at that. What does that look like when Jesus is crushed? From grief, grief. Luke 22, verse 39 through 46, <clears throat> reads like this. It says, Then, accompanied by disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, Pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. 
And he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Jesus begs God to reconsider. His humanity. The f- knowing what pain feels like and cut and bleeding and starvation and thirst begs God, God, if it's okay with you, would you take this cup away from me? I don't want to drink this. Jesus begs for an alternative outcome. We miss that every time. We oftentimes think that Jesus was good. He was God in the flesh and God was strengthening from the inside and maybe he was just kind of acting this way so we could be relatable. That his disciples would see that and be able to relate to him being a human and that's actually not the case at all. It's the case, the reality is, is that Jesus was fully human and he knew what pain felt like. He knew what daggers being dragged across your skin felt like. He knew what being punched in the mouth felt like. He watched his friends die and saw their pain and agony, and he said, God, please, would you reconsider what's going to happen? But he said, it's not my will, Lord. I want yours, your will to win out. But notice that. Notice, notice this. That because of Jesus being 100% human, right, he needed an angel to come down to give him strength to carry on. If that doesn't allow us to relate to a living God in a much greater way, I don't know what else will. Jesus was so troubled by what was going to take place that God sent an angel to give his body strength, to give him strength. He sent someone to help, to encourage, to be right beside him so he wouldn't be lonely. And Jesus being so distraught and angry and, and emotional and all these things going in through his head, he was sweating, not out of exertion, but out of agony. This, this, this thing in his gut was forcing his body to perspire in such a way that the sweat would actually would, would, would come together in greater droplets than sweat would normally be and then drop to the ground as these giant thuds of liquid. You've heard it said before that, that blood is thicker than water, right? And then, then there's a reality to that. The viscosity factor of blood is, 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 is higher than, 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 than water. So when blood pools together and then drops to the ground, it's in a very large drop. You've sweat enough to know that when you sweat, they're kind of tiny drops, like, kind of like tears. But Jesus sweat so hard and so profusely that the sweat actually, the sweat congregated together so fast that it created these massive drops. And he wasn't running a marathon. He wasn't lifting weights. He wasn't doing anything other than just being in agony of what God has asked him to do. See, we have a living 
Savior. We have a living God that is taking on flesh for us. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this quote down. I want you. I want to make sure you get this. It'll be on the screen too. Our forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life and defeating the devil are just as much dependent on Jesus being God as it is on Jesus being man. Our gift of eternal life, our forgiveness of sins, and finally putting the devil where he needs to be is just as much contingent on Jesus being God, divine, as it is on Jesus being a man. One without the other won't work. It won't. But the question comes up, but did Jesus have to die? If, if God is all-powerful, then there would be no reason for Jesus to suffer and die, right? I mean, I, we've seen in the Old Testament scriptures that his followers would pray, and then all of a sudden food would come out from the heavens. We've watched many times, and even in Jesus' life, and the miracles where, where disciples would go, they would pray, and something miraculous would happen. Jesus would say a word and heal someone the next town over. So why in the world would a loving God send his son here to the earth to suffer, to die? Because he had to. Look at this scripture real quick in Hebrews. It says, now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in those. So that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. And free those... Who, have held, who were held in slavery all their lives by the, faith, by, the, by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. That's us. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in the matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who were tempted. See, Jesus could not save us unless he became like us. Jesus could not provide rest and provide ultimate healing for our friend Nita unless he took on a body like hers. When we look at what Jesus went through, as we approach Good Friday and Easter, I want you to have a different set of eyes than how you see Jesus. I want you to see Jesus, the baby boy that grew up. He had to learn how to talk. I want you to see Jesus, the teenager that thought that they knew everything. I want you to see Jesus, the man who got sick and needed to sleep in a bed for a day. I want you to see Jesus who cried over the loss of his best friend. I want you to see Jesus when in the last hours of his life he needed an angel to give him enough strength to do what God asked him to do. See, Jesus is not a savior so far removed from the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups of this world that he cannot relate to them. 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, that says, I think it's, I think it's 1 Corinthians, that no temptation has seized you but, except what is common to man. Jesus was a man. Jesus had to go through those. Um, here's what I want to do. I want to end with this. I want to end with the challenge. What's, I want to end with something that I want you to ask this week leading up to Easter. And real simple. It, it's a real simple question. But it's, but it's one that draws a line in the sand on how we see Jesus the man and how we see Jesus our Savior, our King. See, we're called to follow Jesus. Jesus would call his disciples and say, come follow me. He didn't say, come follow the teachings that I'm going to give you. He didn't say, come, come do this out of obligation. He said, come follow me, the, the, the relatable human, the, the one who's here with you, the, but also the one who can walk to you in your boat and not need a boat to get out on your boat. Here's, here's my challenge. What it, what is holding you back? What's holding you back from following Jesus deeper? What's holding you back from following this, this man who lived like us, was born like us, who grew and, 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 and matured like us, who died like us? What is holding you back from following Jesus at a deeper level? What are you letting the thoughts in your head that say, no, I'm too dirty, i got too much baggage to be able to come to someone so perfect and clean as Jesus? Are, are, are you letting the fears of what's going on in life, I don't have enough money to give to the church because I don't know if I need it for, for, this, for these things over here. What are the things that the devil is still speaking to you that you're listening to that is keeping you from taking that next step to following Jesus more. <clears throat> Let me ask you this, and I'm going to pray. What are the things that Jesus is trying to take from your life and put in the grave that you're still holding on to? That's the humanity of Jesus. That's the Savior we follow. We don't follow some mythical being. We follow a man who lived and died like us. Follow a man who grieved the loss of a friend. So this week, what are the things that Jesus is asking you to put in the grave with him? To bury. But then to resurrect again for his glory that you're still holding on to. Let's pray. Father, that is a dangerous question, one that I'm even going to have to wrestle with and to come to grips with some things that you've asked me to, to, to put in the grave, to allow you to allow you to take them to see death and the burial and the resurrection. Father, as we, as we go this week, as we look through this week and to see who you are and relate to the things that you've went to and the, to relate to the emotions and the and the shock and the, and the turmoil that, that you allowed your son to go through. That allowing him to take on flesh and blood and, and need food and need water and need rest and need 
help from an angel to carry out what you've called. Father, the things that we, you've called us to do in life. When you, when you see us struggling and in need of an angel, would you please send those angels to us? Because we know our flesh is just as weak as the flesh that you, you asked Jesus to carry. So this week, Father, what are the things? Convict us. Speak to them. Make them loud. Make them come out of nowhere. So that way we know it is you pointing and calling those things out. And let us just leave them at the altar and walk away so that you can bring resurrection to that part of our life. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for having the audacity to open up your scripture and read from it and to be moved closer to you. And we beg that you will watch over us this week and move us closer to you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.